Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. You know how you watch shows like Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and The Price is Right? And it's cool. You could just holler out the answers or guess the phrase or, you know, shout out $1 all you like. But what's it like when you're there on stage competing on one of those shows? The producer says, you better spin that wheel and get it all the way around because if you don't, you're going to look foolish. So now I hum that wheel and I bust it. But I want a car. I want a PT Cruiser. When you're playing at home, there's no risk calling a wrong letter or saying a wrong solution. But when you're up on stage, there are, of course, consequences. I'm a stage performer and stage fright is not a thing that happens to me. I walked on that stage with my heart pounding. I'm Kyone Wolf. Find out what it was like and get some pro tips if you're going to go for it. That's coming up next on Audacious, right after the news. is audacious here are today's contestants a rhode island man who won the showcase showdown on the price is right bob kinch a north carolina native who won a pt cruiser and two trips on wheel of fortune ash colwell and our returning champion who won a thousand dollar consolation prize in her jeopardy appearance wes simsbury's own Terry Wolfish Cole. And now, here is the host of Audacious, Kyone Wolf. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, on today's show, you'll hear from three people who weren't satisfied sitting on the couch just watching these game shows. They filled out the forms, they went to the tryouts, picked out the perfect outfit, and brought their whole selves to the show. Later, you'll meet a West Simsbury native who made it to Jeopardy! and found herself up against the powerhouse returning champion, Amy Schneider. And you'll meet a guy who grew up loving the word game, Hangman. So, of course, he'd go on to win a car and two big vacations on Wheel of Fortune. And their advice for you, if you've ever thought about doing this sort of thing, is pretty profound. But right now, oh, you've got to meet Bob Kinch. Bob's from Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and he was on The Prices Right not once, but twice. He figured out how to get his name called in 2006 and 2019. And as you'll hear, he is not playing games with playing games. Let's back up, though. When did he think, you know what? I'm going to see about getting myself on The Price is Right. I was down in California, down in Malibu with my sisters. And uh, I went to the O.J. Simpson trial. So I got all that stuff thing, and I ran out of things to do. So I. Uh, I says, how about the price is right? So she took me there. We got in the audience. And I says, I'm going to come back one time before Bob Barker retires. I says, I'm going to get a two-day ticket. One day to figure it out. And one day to get picked. And that's just what I did. The first day, I figured it out. The second day, I got picked. And I won a car. Well, let me let me back up a little bit. So 
Imagine that I don't know anything about how all this works, because the truth is, I don't know anything about how all this works. So when you get to this thing and you get a ticket to it and you show up, what happens? Yeah, all right. So what you do is you get interviewed. I knew nothing about it. I went there the first time and I seen that they interview you. What do they ask? They ask who you are, where you're from, why you're there and everything else. And we know why everybody's there. But I did a lot of observing. So when people got picked, you're with these. This is a 12 hour day. Do they feed you? You feed yourself. They got little stands there. You buy hot dogs, stuff like that. But in the morning, we were there for a while. They let us leave, come back. Once you know you're on the show, they give you a ticket to get in. It's a long day. But you got to study them people. There's 300 people. And whoever gets picked, you got to look and, and see if you can remember anything about them, what they did outside, because they're watching you all day outside and everything else. They're spotters. They're looking for energetic people. They're looking for the right people. So you have to always be on. So like in the ways that you interact with other people. You got to be on on top of your game, be a people's person, talk to people, do all that stuff there. It must have worked because the second day I got picked. How did it feel when you got picked? Were you like, of course, what took you so long? Or were you like, oh, I'm terribly surprised? I don't think the latter probably know. You know, it was it was it was real. It was something, you know, it was, and that's when Bob Bach was there. It was, it was really something. So I'm in the audience and they had a big cardboard sign on the stage. This show will be aired March 24th. So I'm saying, wow, that's my son's birthday. So I says, if I get up there, I'm going to say happy birthday, Matt. You know, you're going to do all this stuff bah, 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 and all this stuff. So I got picked. I went up there. I didn't, I forgot I even had a son. Ah. You know, so I, there was no happy. I mean, the lights and the cameras and everything. I just got picked. I just did something everybody's trying to do. You know, it's it's incredible like that. When you were preparing for this day, how did you know what to wear? And will you talk about what you wore? I had a shirt made. I came from Rhode Island, 2,197 miles to win big. And then on the back, I'm involved with Special Olympics. And I'm involved with the military. So I put on the back, support Special Olympics in our military. And that's the shirt I wore. And I says, this will be just as good as any other one, if not better. Now, when you got called up and you were blinded by the lights and your heart was probably racing, will you talk about what it felt like to see that studio? Like, was it smaller than you thought it would be? What did it smell like? It smelled like Hollywood. It was, I couldn't believe how small it was because you have to watch the biggest part of the show or maybe half the show or the biggest part, all our monitors. There's so much you can't see because they're using behind the curtains off to the left, you can't see off to the right, you can't see it. Depends where you are. And that's what it was. It was really surprising to see it so small. All right. So bring me back to the stage. And I know there are, there are two occasions that you were on this stage, but um, whichever one whichever one was the most vivid, I'd like to hear when you have to guess the prices of the objects in order to move forward in the show, what's going on in your head? Like, is there a way that you were able to prepare for that moment or is there a technique? What can you tell me about what's going through your head at that stage in the game? I had to win a set of lights the first time to get up on stage. And 
I think I might have been the third bidder at one point. You're, you're trying to get an idea. You 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 can't prepare for that. You think you can, but when you get up there, it's a whole different ballgame. So the guy next to me, I just bid a dollar more than him. And I grabbed that and got up there. And uh, and that was it. When I got up there, you know, it was, it was just that's when you lose thought of everything. That's when I forgot I had a son. I couldn't wish him a happy birthday. So that was that. Will you talk about what it felt like to spin the wheel? Spinning the wheel, I, I, I lost the wheel on the first one. But to go up there, you're thinking you've got to get that five cents or a dollar. You know, I, I, I don't want to blame anybody, but the producer said to me, now I'm a big guy, I'm 6'4", and he says, look, he says, you better spin that wheel and get it all the way around because if you don't, you're going to look foolish. So now I hum that wheel. I sent it on a merry ride. It got around and boom, I had to spin it the second time. And I busted. So now we go to a commercial. I blamed him. I <laughs> says, if you would have kept quiet, I says, I might have got something better. Oh, you're blaming me. We had fun anyway. It was all fun. But uh, I blew the wheel. Yeah. But I won a car. I won a PT Cruiser. Okay. Tell me about when you won the PT Cruiser. What was the game? And what did it feel like to win a freaking PT Cruiser? All right. I was sitting next to this guy. He, he was a big mill manager out in Ohio and a girl, she was a federal prosecutor from Canada and I got to be friends with them. They were sitting right on the side of me. So I had to pull some cards out. Well, Bob Baca did. You got to get the front of the car and the back of the car. So I'm looking out at the audience, getting them involved, but I'm looking at them two people there. They how boom, they give me a number wrong. So boom, they give me another one wrong. So now the third time, they just put their hands up, said, leave us out of it. And I got it myself. I just took a shot and said something. Here goes the front. Took another shot. Here's the back. I won it. How did it feel when you won that PT Cruiser? It was amazing because here I am. I'm doing something that uh, you never dream of. You know, here I am. I had all the odds against me. I'm going out there alone. I'm doing this. I'm going out there with a lot of thoughts and ideas. And you got to get them into play. You got to, I put them into play. And when I put them into play, it worked. But so many people, you know, there's people that go there, they sleep in their cars overnight, the parking garages and stuff like that. You know, they spent their money on gas to get there. And they're probably not sleeping in their PT cruisers. Oh, man, I tell you. But uh, it's incredible. It, it really is. It really is. And you were primed because the announcer said, a new car and you freak out right oh, that must yeah, have been yeah, so cool yeah. you know I mean? you're jumping up and down and you know and, it, and that's it you know you got it who in god's name would ever think i'm gonna win this thing you know and it just boom it just fell into place and i won it all right i have some logistical questions about the car now in my mind you know the show's over you sign some papers and they give you the keys and then you drive back to no, rhode island and no, you know no, how does no. it work not at all. Not at all. What you do is you get all the paperwork and a picture of Bob Baca and they send you around your merry way and they got to deliver the car to you. That I had to pick that car up in Rhode Island and they lost it. What? Yeah. Yeah. They got a certain time to give you the stuff and the lamps I got right away, the car, the time frame come and left. So I had to call CVS. They give me a number and it was coming to a dealership in Rhode Island and they lost it because they lost the title. And uh, so I got the car about a month later. 
Did you get to pick the color and or was it? No, no, I got the color that they had. But I, what I did get is I got an $1,800 tax bill. So when I called CBS, I said, you know, here's I am. Here's my number and all this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, I don't have the car. I said, but I got an $1,800 tax bill. She says, don't you worry about that tax bill. So I beat the tax bill and that was okay to get the car a month later. I beat the tax bill. So for those who are listening right now and they think, you know, I love The Price is Right. Uh, I've been watching it my whole life, but I never considered actually being on it. What would you say to them? Do it. Do it. And if you don't get picked, you know, like the second time I went, I won the showcase. And, you know, I came out after the show because they were putting on a second show. It's another thing they do now. They got a second show going on. And all the people were there watching me come out of the audience, out of the out of the office, and uh, you know they they seen I was the top winner and all that stuff there. And I and I stopped and I I said I want to tell you this all something. I says don't be discouraged. I says if you don't get picked. I says without getting picked, everybody wants to get picked, but without getting picked, you're going to have the best day of your life. I says you're going to mingle together. You're going to do it, and it, it really is. I says you're going to have a great time. Even if you don't get picked, you get involved with the show, you know, you play with everybody else, even though you're not on the stage, you're hollering for the numbers, you're hollering for the people. And a lot of times somebody right next to you or somebody you talk to, if you mingle with everybody, will get picked. It's a, it's just a good time. you got to play the sportsmanship and and, uh, and you have a great day. Do you watch the show differently now that you've been on it? A lot differently. It's just like... Um, more like, geez, I worked there. You know, it's because I, I went. Like it's your old job. Yeah. The second time I got picked, which was 2019, you know, it wasn't nothing like the first. And that was with Drew Carey. And that's when I won everything. I won the showcase. Even after I, I won the wheel and I'm off to the side with one of the producers and we're just talking and we're watching the show. We're watching other people, but I was up on the stage off to the side with him. And it was just like I worked there. I was, they were like family or something. It was so calm, relaxed. And, and it was nice. It was, it was really nice. And, uh, but then uh, I won everything. So that was even better. Is there a limit to how many times you can be on the presses, right? You can, it started every 15 years. Then they load it. Cause I was waiting. They loaded to 10 years. And that's when I was in the office, they said, look, you can't come back for another 10 years, but, if you wait a year, you can go on, let's make a deal. So I went on, let's make a deal. And I won that too. <sighs> yeah. That was just this year. I'm proud of you, Bob. Yeah. I'm real proud of you. I won money on the end. Then I, I took the money, $1,500. And I, uh, I took the box and I says, I'm a gamble. Let it ride. So I gave up the money and I won a, a motorcycle, but that doesn't do me any good because I got three Holly Davidson's and that was a Kawasaki. <laughs> I'll sell that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's next for you? I have a feeling you're not done with this game show stuff. Oh, no, no. Next one, I'm um, figuring out now how to win the lottery. Oh, that's right. the Rhode Island lottery? I'm going to beat the lottery. Or Powerball. Any, any lottery. Yeah. I can go back to Let's Make a Deal in three years, but I'll hopefully go back to uh, Prices Right again. And probably even take someone there, my kids or whatever, and uh, try to get them to win, you know, and, and that's it. Like, um, 
you know, the uh, local paper, the Valley Breeze, did a write-up on that. And they said, what did you do? And this is what, if you want to hear it, you know, I, when I, when I got interviewed, I did three, uh, two Zooms for Let's Make a Deal. And they were about 20 minute, half hour Zooms. What I did is, you know, everybody, they talk to two, 300 people a day, interview people. I'm estimating. So everybody talks about the show. Well, I watched this. Well, I did blah, 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 blah. Well, I told him on there, I says, I take these producers on a magic carpet ride. I take them right out of the studios. And I says, I take them into my life. What I do and everything with the military, with the, uh, the you know, fundraisers, all the things we do and all this stuff. I do all that. So when I'm done and at the end of the day, when they're done interviewing all these people, they remember me. They remember me. I didn't tell one thing about the show. I says, we'll do that when you guys pick me. I says, then I'll come into the studio. So right now I'm taking you guys out of the studio. And then after when I'm picked, I want you to bring me in the studio. And, uh, and that's what, that's, that's where we went. You know, will I be able to say Bob Kent, come on down. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So I mean, I'm three for, I'm three for three. And now you'll be on Audacious. I know it's on a game show, but let me see what we could do. I'll talk to uh, I'll talk to my producers. <laughs> see if we can change the whole game. There you go. There you go. That's what it's all about. You know, get it out there, and uh, you know, everybody. It's all about having fun and, and and accomplishing things. Well, Bob Kent, thank you for taking me on that magic carpet ride. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. When we get back, that's when I really started cracking down on practicing for the show. Because I didn't want to go into tape date feeling rusty. Well, it's like getting ready for Wheel of Fortune. And lessons, oh, so many lessons, from being on Jeopardy. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today's stories from people who got themselves onto the sound stages of Jeopardy, The Price is Right, and now. Ash Colwell of Charlotte, North Carolina, was on the show back in February of 2020. He grew up loving the game with a particularly violent name and objective, but hey, Hangman. So being on Wheel of Fortune was. Well, kind of a given for him. So he auditioned. Why, hello there, Wheel of Fortune. My name is Ashley Colwell. However, I go by Ash as a nickname. I am 22 years old. And when he got the call? That's when I really started cracking down on practicing for the show. So, you know, I played the video game version every day, kept watching the show, and... Again, just to keep my puzzle-solving skills short because I didn't want to go into tape date feeling rusty. I want to know what it felt like for you when you put your foot on the set for the first time and you saw the wheel and the board for the first time. Like, what was that like? So before we even started taping, Wheel of Fortune has some contestant coordinators that essentially give an orientation to everything there is about the show to the contestants and they just show them around the set, how everything works. And it was, 
pretty surreal to be on the set, see the wheel, the puzzle board in person, and then actually being able to practice spinning the actual wheel so we could get a feel for spinning it. Okay, I have to know the first moment your finger touched that wheel. What was going through your head? How did it feel? Well, they did teach us how to spin the wheel. So I wanted to make sure I was following all the directions carefully. So I wasn't really thinking so much about how the wheel felt. All I was thinking was, I hope I can spin this correctly. And it did take a few attempts to actually get the rhythm of spinning the wheel properly. Was it heavier than you thought it would be? It was smaller than I thought it would be, but it was definitely heavy. You really had to put some effort into it. It wasn't just something you could just spin with ease. You really had to hold on to it and give it a whirl. Part of me kind of hopes that you were sore the next day. I think my arm was a little bit sore the next day, but I did not pay much mind to it. Yeah, you had other things on your mind at that point, but we're not going to skip to the end. Did you get to meet Pat and Vanna before, or did you meet them fresh as soon as it started? We did not get to meet Pat until we started taping. But I believe Vanna came in while we were going over some information, and she just quickly said hi to us and then left to get ready. Uh, So as if seeing the wheel and the wall weren't like real enough, it must have been really real seeing and seeing them in real life and hearing their voices. Right. It's just like meeting any other celebrity. It's hard to imagine that you're actually speaking to them. Yeah. It's a weird kind of out of body experience. Um, so the, so the taping starts I, and I watched when I watched it and it's funny cause Pat Sajak, you know, you were going back and forth with him getting to know each other. And he kept, he kept suggesting band names for you to listen to seeing if you knew these band names. My, my favorite music genre is alternative rock. Mumford and Sons. I like Good. them. And Cage the, the Elephant. Yes. I like them too. As you well like as Mallrat? The, you like Mallrat? Um, no. I have not heard of Mallrat. You, you should, you should listen. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Was that surprising to you that he knew those bands? Absolutely. I did not expect him to recognize all those um, band names. Was there anything that you wish you would have said in the bantering? You know, like anytime you, anytime I have a big conversation with anybody, inevitably I get home or the ne- that night or the next day, I'm like, ah, you know what I should have said? Did that happen to you? I pretty much said everything that was on my contestant interview card that I wanted to talk about. There was not really anything that was skipped over. So the show's being taped. How much in your mind were you trying to anticipate everything that could happen next? Or how much were you just in the zone as the game was going on? I think I was just completely in the zone. I mean, you'll have some contestants say that that being on Real Fortune on the actual stage and playing the game for real is a lot different than just sitting on your couch and playing from home. <laughs> when you're playing at home, it's always your turn. You There's no risk calling a wrong letter or saying a wrong solution. But when you're up on stage, there are, of course, consequences. But I think I was just too focused on all the puzzles that my focus and determination combated the nerves. So when you solve a puzzle... When you remember how it felt to articulate those words, did you feel empowered? Were you 100% confident every time you solved a puzzle? 
So when I was solving the puzzles, I did want to make sure that I was 99, 100% sure that what I would, that what I thought was the solution to the puzzle was the correct solution. And I think once I knew it, I decided, let's try to solve the puzzle. Maybe this is it. Because I was afraid of spinning the wheel again and landing on a bankrupt or a loser turn and then control going to the next person. So again, I was just so focused and determined on solving the puzzle that once I knew it, I just wanted to solve the puzzle and I ended up being right most of the time. You also don't seem like the kind of person who bows to fear very easily. Was there anything you were afraid of during taping? A few things that I was afraid of that I'm sure a lot of other contestants would agree with me was hoping that the wheel would be nice to me, that, you know, I wouldn't land on bankrupt and lose the turn all the time, that I would at least solve one puzzle and, you know, just to have that satisfaction of having solved the puzzle and then also hopefully not doing anything embarrassing that would go viral. Oh. Uh, it makes me long for the days when Wheel of Fortune was like on one of three channels <laughs> and there was no internet. No one could go viral. It was very difficult. All right. So you did great in this show. You not only won a trip to Scotland, but you also won a trip to Italy. And then to top it all off, you won a Mercedes SUV. Congratulations. Um, if you could have only taken one of those prizes, which one would it have been? Probably the car, because that was one in the bonus round. Do you have to pay taxes on all this stuff? How does that work? Yes, all the prizes that you win do count as income and you do have to pay the taxes on them. Hmm. Do you get paid for the appearance overall? The only way you're going to get paid is by actually winning on the show. Contestants who are unable to solve any puzzles on the show receive a $1,000 consolation prize. I would be consoled by $1,000, yeah. Right. Besides that $1,000 consolation prize, the only way you're going to make money on the show is by spinning the wheel, calling correct letters, and then solving puzzles. So show's over. You walk off the stage. What happens next? Do you have to like sign some paperwork? Are you like sweating and you need a shower? Like what, what happened next? After I was done taping the show, I did have to sign some paperwork. And then after that, I was pretty much finished with the show by that point. So the show was taped in February, right? February 2020. And the show didn't air until... August of 2020. So you had to keep quiet for six months. How hard was it to keep quiet? It was definitely hard, especially if you're a big winner. Well, how do you define big winner? Because to me, uh, two trips and a, a Mercedes SUV is, that's pretty big. I just define a big winner as someone who goes on the show, wins a lot in cash and prizes, and especially solves their bonus round puzzle for a bigger prize. What's the biggest prize you've seen? Well, on Wheel of Fortune, I think the maximum prize you can win is $1 million, but there's a lot of hurdles you have to go through to win the million, but it has been done before. So you're able to go back? Can you try again? Unfortunately, no. Wheel of Fortune only allows contestants to appear once. 
It's like a metaphor for some things in life. So the show airs in August of 2020. What kind of reactions did you get from your friends and family? Just the usual cheers and congratulations. Great job. But it felt pretty great to have all that support. Now, when you're like out on the street, see, as a radio show host, I, there, there isn't one time where I get recognized and it's not the coolest thing. It is always cool when people recognize me. The, the novelty never, never, never wears off. Did you get recognized? And if so, how did that feel? Just walking down the street. So after my show aired, I was never recognized. Although I do recall one time, a few, and this was kind of random, but a few months ago, I visited the Raleigh-Durham area. And I think I was participating in a 5K or something. And at the location of the 5K, while I was participating in it, we were running around a neighborhood. And apparently one of the neighbors must have recognized me from being on the show because as I was passing by their house, they said, I remember you congratulations but that's all they said so i'm just presuming that they must have seen the show so there are people listening to you right now who are in the before times of their life when it comes to their commitment their engagement with wheel of fortune like they see the wheel they love the show they they fantasize about the big board they they love pat and vanna but they don't know yet if they have the guts to tango with that wheel there. I and mean, they're listening to you right now. And there's this voice in the way back of their head. That's saying, that's asking, should I do this? Like, could I, could I do this? What do you say to them? I say, go for it because real fortune is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You never get the opportunity again. Once you, on the show and you never know what could happen when you're on the show you could win a million dollars and that wouldn't have happened had you not applied for the show also it's like if you keep thinking about it then you probably should do it right what do you have to lose uh my last question is and it's a little bit sensitive how do you feel about jeopardy and how do you feel about price is right so I am a huge fan of game shows, and that's the reason also why I wanted to be on Wheel of Fortune, because like I said, huge fan of game shows, and I knew that I would do well with Wheel of Fortune. But I am also a huge fan of the other shows, like the ones you mentioned. And I actually would love to try to appear on another game show in the future as well. Well, Ash Colwell, thanks for talking with me. Thank you for having me. After the break. I have never experienced a more cognitively intense 30 minutes in my life. Scenes from the soundstage of the Alex Trebek studio. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, you're meeting people who've been on one of the three most famous, influential, most iconic game shows The Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune, and now. This is Jeopardy! 
Terry Wolfish Cole of West Simsbury, Connecticut, watched her show air on January 6th. And I asked her back in early 2021, what made her want to do this thing to be on Jeopardy? I wish I had a really simple answer for that, except to say, I want to do everything. So I had tried out more than once. The way that you try out to start with is they have these scheduled tests and you sign up for a slot. Like I'm going to do the Jeopardy test Wednesday, December 11th at 5 p.m. or Thursday or Friday. Now there's something called the anytime test, but there didn't used to be. When there were online tests and before the anytime tests, you would sign up and do a test. And I had done it a couple of times and not done very well. I am part of an online trivia group called Learned League. It's invitation and referral only. And it's all the trivia nerds. And I did another online test. And this time I did really well. And then one day in my email came an invitation to do a second test. So I signed up for a second test. And this one is just like that first one. 50 questions in 15 minutes, only this time they're watching to make sure you're not Googling or asking your husband over your shoulder. And I did pretty well on that one too. And then I got an invitation to a third interview and the third, the third audition, the interview that used to be, you had to go somewhere, but now it's all online and all zoom. And I showed up and like, One of my superpowers is getting picked out of the audience. I have this uncanny ability to raise my hand, lock eyes with the host of whatever, and get picked to be like the girl on stage. So I show up for the interview in that mode, and I'm dressed and I have makeup on. And like, there's some other guy. eating a hero in a t-shirt. I was like, sir, I think you're taking this work from home thing a little too far. It's an audition. But what I found out at the end of that audition, I found out that when you're done with that, you're in the contestant pool for 18 months and they can call or not, which is fine. So I kind of put it out of my head And I marked on my calendar that 18-month day and said, you know, okay, on we go with our lives. Were you able to put it out of your head? Yeah, I really kind of did. And one day I was driving on Route 44 in Avon in October, and my phone rang with a phone number I didn't know, an area code I didn't even know. And this is the moment where somebody else would say, and I never answer my phone if I don't know who's calling. But the truth is I answer my phone every time. (laughs) Because you never know. You never know. You never know. And most of the time, it's somebody about my car warranty. (laughs) Me too. You and I have that in common. Wow, I'm shocked. But I answered my phone. I go, hello. And this woman goes, hi, is this Terry? And she sounds real friendly. So I get really defensive. And I go like, yeah, who's this? (laughs) And she goes, hi, my name's Lori, and I'm with the television program Jeopardy. By the way, she 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 didn't need to say I'm with the television program Jeopardy. She could have just does, said I'm with Jeopardy. No, does, I'm with the television program Jeopardy. And this is the, the moment NPR is going to bleep me because I literally, Kion, went, holy, are you my call? 
And I burst into tears. And she said, do you want to pull over at which point I'm already looking for someplace to pull over. And I pulled in behind an Italian restaurant and she told me all about what was coming next. Okay. So can you take me to the moment that you stepped into the Jeopardy studios? Yeah. They gathered us all in a parking garage, which is where the COVID testing was as well. The whole morning from 7.30 on was a lot of talk, rules, and what to do if, and legal people, and COVID protocols. They gave us KN95 masks that had to stay on, and then it was time to go to the Jeopardy studio for rehearsal, which is right next door. It's down a hallway, and you walk past cutouts of Pat and Vanna and pictures of Alex, and we sit down in the Jeopardy studio, and you see the Jeopardy stage, which is incredible to see. I mean, this is, nobody wakes up one day and goes, I think I'll try out for Jeopardy on a lark. We're all super fans. We've all watched Jeopardy every day for 38 years. And here you are in this room and it's time for the first round of rehearsals. They tell us they're going to bring up three people each time Each person will get two rounds of rehearsal. They want to practice the game, answer the questions, buzz in, get used to seeing there's lights that tell you when you're allowed to answer as well as the voice. They want you to really get to try it all. And they're introducing the first three people to go up on stage. They say, okay, first three, we're going to have this person and this person and this person. And then Sarah from the Clue Crew, who is playing the part of Johnny Gilbert, the announcer, who's 95 and working from home, she introduces our first two contestants. And I don't remember who the first two were, but it was so-and-so, you know, a a journalist from this place and -and so-and-so, a teacher from that place. And our returning champion, Amy Schneider a computer programmer from Oakland, California, whose 23 game total equals 850 some thousand dollars. And we all thought they were joking. And they did the first round of rehearsal play. And Amy was like, bam, 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 bam. They had to stop the play and say, let's let so-and-so have a chance to call the next answer. Now, when Amy sat back down, I looked at her and said, was that real? Remember, because of the taping schedule, when I walked into that studio, she had won 23 games and no one knew it yet, except her. So here you are thinking, I might win Jeopardy. And then you're thinking... I am not going to win Jeopardy. Sort of. All I wanted was an even playing field. I didn't want to swim against Michael Phelps. I'm ready to get in there and compete. I'm as good as any regular player who walks in the room. And I know it. I just wanted, I don't even want to say a fair fight because nothing unfair happened to me. This is the part 
that I've had time to sit with and try to reconcile. Nothing unfair happened. There's no one to blame. There's no one to, nothing to feel bitter about. It's like the people who went to Hawaii and were flooded on their honeymoon and there's no do-over. You get to be on Jeopardy once in a lifetime. Oh, you're not allowed back. I've never heard of it happening. I don't think you can. Now, when you were on stage and you knew you were up against this powerhouse, Mm -hmm. do you think that rocked you? Like, did it affect your your style? Like, if you had had somewhat of an even playing field, do you think you would have been more present or more focused or more quick on the buzzer? Not more present, not more focused, not more quick on the buzzer. I'm a stage performer and stage fright is not a thing that happens to me. I walked on that stage with my heart pounding. The other thing I can tell you is I have never experienced a more cognitively intense 30 minutes in my life. So much so that in the weeks and months between taping and airing, I could tell you that I played 61 clues, including Final Jeopardy. I was able to name two, maybe three categories and answer to you three or four questions that I got right. I knew I didn't get a daily double, that I never found one. I knew I answered a question. I knew Dean Stockwell was one of my answers from Quantum Leap. I love that show. I should bring that back. I knew Big Ben was one of my answers. I know Amy got one wrong that she said was Whig and I said was Federalist. So yeah. You'll never forget it either. That's it, Kaya. And what I found out in the Jeopardy contestant Facebook groups afterwards is this happens to everybody. It's as if to activate your recall brain as intensely as you need to, your memory brain shuts off. I heard stories after of people watching their episode, hearing a clue, thinking to myself, thinking to themselves, I wish I knew that. And then watching themselves answer it on television. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's wild. Can we go back for a second? I'd like to hear about some of the sensations and experiences. Like the first time you pressed the button, What did it look like? What did it feel like? The button? The button. I had a practice button. You can buy one online. What? Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. What is well known in the trivia community and the communities of people who want to be on or have been on Jeopardy is that the depth and breadth of your knowledge is not what wins the game. What wins the game is buzzer speed. So if you're serious about this, as part of your practice, you get a practice buzzer. It looks and feels like a cigar tube in your hand, more or less with a button on top. And it's wired. In my case, it wires out USB to your computer, but it can wire there's wires into whatever it wires into. So at home, when you're practicing, you use there's a website where somebody's asking questions. And when the question is done, you both listen for the final consonant and watch for a color change. 
And then you buzz in with your answer and it gives you your timing. I found that I did better listening than watching and practicing. I got my time down from about three tenths of a second to about one tenth of a second. That was not enough to be Amy, who is so fast on the trigger. If you watch me or you watch any of the episodes where Amy wins, you will see the other contestants smashing their buzzers. It's not that they didn't know the answers. It's not that we didn't know. Some of it is because Amy knows a really lot, but there are things I know that maybe Amy doesn't know. If you watch Amy's playing style, she's so fast on the buzzer. When you got to write your name, yeah, what was going through your mind? My hand was shaking. Ugh. And I think I remember a moment where I thought to myself, should I underline my name? Because I always sign my name and underline, which graphologists have a good time figuring that one out. But I always, I write big and I underline my name. And so that was a moment where I paused because so much of what went through my head getting ready for the show was about the girl who was mean to me in middle school. What did I want her to see on TV when she turned on her TV and went, oh my God, I know her. I really did see it as a moment of living well is the best revenge. This is like the nerd Olympics. So you called me a nerd? Yeah, you were right. Look at me now. Where are you? That was a big part of my thought process getting ready for this was imagining a lot of people just turning on their TV and seeing me there. And what was that going to be like? So for those who are listening, thinking, you know, I do love Jeopardy and I guess I, I could go for it. What would you say to them? I would say, go for it. Go for everything. When you have an idea and you think, well, gosh, I have that inside of me. You do. The only difference between you and the people who do these things is that they did it. That's it. I mean, look, do you need some kind of talent to grow up and be Lady Gaga? Yeah, absolutely. Not everybody gets to play in the NFL. Sure. But nobody ever got to play in the NFL. Nobody ever got to be Lady Gaga. Nobody ever got to be on Jeopardy who sat on their couch. Someday all your stuff is going to be gone. Your house is going to turn into an apartment. Your apartment is going to turn into a smaller apartment. You're going to get rid of the things that you think mean something to you now. They don't mean anything. And someday when you die, they're going to take it all away to the dump. And all that you have left is the memories of the experiences that you made happen. And the, the sharing of those memories with people. I won $1,000 on Jeopardy. $1,000. And I threw a party. I was like, you know, the hell with this. Okay, I didn't win, but I achieved my goal. My goal was look good. Both look good 
and look good while you're playing, you know, make it to final jeopardy. That is the great possible shame of any jeopardy contestant is you don't make it to final jeopardy. I am the only one who ended double jeopardy with more than half of Amy's score. Not that much more than half, but I knew that for my friends who didn't know the outcome and could be in the room with me, my trivia friends, my family, it was going to be exciting. There was a possibility and that was going to have to be enough. So we'll eat some pizza. We'll drink some drinks. And I'll remember that too. Terry Wolfish Cole, thanks for talking with me. Anytime, my friend. You'll find a link to Terry's storytelling show, Tell Me Another, at ctpublic.org slash audacious. Today's show is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Thanks to Colin McEnroe, whose voice you heard in the intro. I think that guy has a bright future in front of him. Subscribe to Audacious. You'll always get to hear the show a day early. Plus, you can listen back to episodes featuring things like what it's like having your arm ripped off by a tiger, what tools an intimacy coordinator for film and TV uses in delicate situations, and um, what it's like to be allergic to water. You can hear them wherever you get your podcasts. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf. And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Just tell me what